welcome to another very special episode of Let Me Explain You a Thing. My name is Andrew, and this is the podcast where I talk extemporaneously on a subject I know a decent amount about, usually on my drive to work, although today I'm driving home from Thanksgiving. And as always, apologies for road noise. Today, apologies for cat noise, because I have my cat with me. You might not hear her, actually, so sorry if I'm setting up a, an expectation I cannot hew to. Um, at any rate, today I thought I'd do something a little... Eh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess this is different. This is an area I have not yet spoken to before. Um, but I'm excited to cover it. I hope you are too. The topic is improv. The art of improvisation. Uh, sometimes improvisational comedy, although you can do improvisational uh, drama as well. That's not something I have a lot of experience with, but heck, let's, let's get into it. So, my... Now, I will also say, at this point in my life, I... I have a number of friends who are improvisers, um, who do stand-up comedy, who have, you know, who, who work in theater and have a lot of, like, training in improv. My training in improv goes back to, it's, it's like almost 10 years ago that I last regularly did improv. So take this with a, a an extra grain of salt, I guess. Um, if there's something that I miss, something that I'm wrong about, please get in touch uh, with me. Write to me at... Um, actually, I don't know if I have a public email. Um, put it in the uh, submission form on my website. Let me explain you a thing.com. Um, anyway. So, yeah, improv. Um, I guess I'll go, like, way, way back. In high school, I did... Uh, speech team, forensics, as it's known in some some regions. Um, speech team was it like it was it was an extracurricular activity at my high school. Um, it was very competitive in the area that I went to high school, um, and our team was like pretty large, pretty well supported by the school. It was like kind of one of our banner non-athletic, like, teams, you know, like, you know, some schools have Model UN and, and stuff like that, um, my school, you know, speech team was kind of, um, I wouldn't say well-known, you know, it's certainly well below the, the level of any given sports team, but, you know, it was pretty well supported, well, um, resourced, I guess, and it was a large team we had. Anyway, I bring this up because I did an event, um, yes, we call them events, I did an event in speech team in high school called Impromptu Speaking. This is not improv, but for a while I was confused and I thought it was. Um, <laughs> so, Impromptu Speaking is when you, uh, you're given a topic in an envelope, um, like, I mean, speech team, there's so many... It would take... Honestly, I could do a podcast just on speech team. Um, and I might. So I'm going to keep some of my powder dry here. Uh, but the way impromptu speaking worked, um, 
is you'd be, you know, you do like typically three rounds was the way our tournaments were set up. Um, you would do, uh, each round consisted of speaking in front of a judge, um, with like usually five, six, could be more though, uh, other people in your round. Um, and you would give a speech, each other person in turn would give a speech, and then the judge would rank you and give you, like, critique on a, a feedback form. Um, and you, you used, like, codes for your school, so you were, like, square two, um, which seems a little on the nose, or, like, uh, ruby six, or whatever, um, to indicate, you know, which school you were from for scoring purposes, but to hide your school from the judge. And the judge also was assigned, like, a, a you know, code, um, team name. Um, so that way you couldn't, like, let that bias creep in or play favorites or try to spike some, you know, well-performing school or whatever um, as a judge. A lot of the judges, by the way, were, like, recent high school grads um, or coaches. They were, basically, they were either, like, English teachers um, who were, like, coaching their respective teams, or they were, uh, like, college kids, um, you know, like, back over winter break, judging speech tournaments for a little extra pocket money. Um, but yeah, so, and you would, you would, like, only one person would be in the room at a time to avoid, like, other people getting the topics early, but, like, you'd get a topic, and then the judge would start a stopwatch, and, <laughs> and, um, best practices stated that you would spend two minutes writing a speech, which honestly just consisted of, like, coming up with some bullet points, um, and an attention getter, kind of writing, like, a, a five-paragraph essay, you know, if, I don't know if that's something they still teach in, in school, in high school, um, but that was kind of the gold standard of, like, uh, persuasive or, um, uh, fact-based, you know, essay writing when I was in high school. You'd have a attention-getter leading off your intro, which would end with a thesis, and then you'd have, like, three body paragraphs to kind of explore the theme or the topic, and then a conclusion that would kind of restate uh, the main points that you had dealt with before. It was very dry and boring and not a great way to write, but it was, you know, it was, it was a format that you could use to, uh, you could apply to giving a speech that you had two minutes to prepare. And the topic would be sometimes a quotation, sometimes, um, sometimes, like, a color. Like, seriously, they could be anything. Um, you'd have to give a speech based on that as a, that prompt as some kind of inspiration, um, and, you know, back that up with some kind of sources, like, you know, pop culture and media, um, literature, you know, like, history, like, whatever you wanted. Anyway, this kind of primed the pump for me, because it was not my initial interest in, in speech team, but that's what I was placed into when I joined as a freshman. And I was really not that great. I was, <laughs> I, I, I think I got, like, two awards over the course of my career, and they were both, like, right at the end, um, over four years. 
Um, as time went on, I started, you know, exploring other events in speech team. I, I started doing original comedy uh, my senior year, which was kind of what I wanted all along. And it was, you were able to, uh, you were, you were able to write like a, oh yeah, and for impromptu, you had six minutes to actually give the speech. Um, for original comedy, that eight minutes was divided differently since everybody had their speech prepared ahead of time. Um, you would just kind of go in the room with all the other performers and the judge. Each person would get up one by one to, you know, deliver their, uh, their comedy, which was not stand-up. It was, um, like an original script that you wrote and you played all the characters and you would kind of like pop as they, they called it, like between them, um, to kind of like, you know, without props as a one man show, one person show, like play all these roles, um, perform this, this kind of short play that you've written, um, or short, almost more like a screenplay because it wasn't like, you know, if there was like stage directions or something, you would have to perform them. If there was narration, you would have to have a kid, like put that in the mouth of a character. Um, but anyway, I got into that. And then, so college, uh, when I started college, I was, um, I auditioned for a play because towards the end of high school, I had gotten into theater and it was kind of adjacent to speech team. And I was kind of like burning out on speech team shocked that I did it every year for as long as I did, and, you know, there was a lot of turnover, like, people would, like, you know, they wouldn't have success getting, uh, getting awards, because the judges were, like, ranking around, and you would always end up in a round with a ringer, you had to get, like, anyway, I'll, I'll explain this all in the speech team podcast, but, like, um, theater was very much more accepting, because, like, even if you didn't make the play, you could still join crew, um, and have some role in it, uh, which was neat. It was, it was a much more open kind of environment that way. Um, and theater, you know, you do some of the warm-up, like, theater improv kind of games. Like, if you've ever heard of Zip Zap Zop, it's like, it's not really improv. You're not improvising anything. You're not playing any characters, but it's, it's kind of like, I'll explain a lot of games probably in this podcast. Zip Zap Zop is you stand in a circle with a few other, at least a few other players, and you like kind of like point, clap point at different people. If like somebody goes in the middle, they like point at different people, they go zip, and then you're supposed to respond with zap. And if somebody goes zap, you go zop. And so like you have to be really on your toes, paying attention to you know, and you try to fake each other out, right? Like, you, you spin around suddenly and you go zop, and they go zop, and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. I, you know, I was supposed to zip, and I zopped. Um, so, like, that was a pretty popular, like, warm-up for theater, kind of, for audition, or not auditions, for rehearsals kind of, kind of game. Um, and that was really as far as we went with improv in high school. I know there were other high schools that, that had, like, an improv troupe or, like, an improv club, and they did real games, you know, to some degree of success. <laughs> um, but we did not. Um, but I got into theater end of high school. I was, you know, rolling that through because I felt like I was late to the party. I know there were some kids who were going to, like 
like big schools where they, you know, if you, if you weren't like a theater major, then you weren't in, you couldn't do theater. You couldn't just like dabble in some other department's business like that. Um, so, um, yeah, some kids I remember were like, you know, the last show of senior year, they were like, this is my last show. I love you guys. Blah, blah, blah. Um, for me, I was like, hell no, I'm going to keep doing theater. Even though I'm not studying it, I love it. And I kept doing theater. The first, like, I auditioned for the first uh, main stage show, like, at the start of my first term in college. And I think I got called back. I did not get a part in that, and that was fine. Um, you know, I was still kind of getting my bearings. But what I did do, I, I gathered that people who did not make the, uh, the, the theater show, kind of like in high school, you would sign up for crew instead, um, what I ended up doing was auditioning for the, uh, like, black box, is that the right term? Oh my god, I, I feel like that was a lifetime ago sometimes. Um, well, I, I, anyway, I auditioned for, like, the studio theater shows, which were student-directed and, uh, you know, unlike the main stage, which was directed by uh, a professor, had higher production values, was a little bit more prestige. Um, but that was kind of the thing that I gathered that you did if you wanted to do something theater-related that term, but you didn't make the main stage show, um... You know, if you were aiming high for the main stage show, that is. Some people, like, didn't really fuck with the main stage, or, like, they were like, I don't want to be in a Shakespeare, no thanks. And, uh, did, you know, studio, uh, auditions only. But, like, the studio auditions, I believe, they, they tended to do, like, <clears throat> uh, kind of, kind of as a group. So, like, all the student directors casting a studio show would see all the auditions. They would give you some sides to read from. Sides are, like, uh, you know, like a page of script, basically, and say, you know, read for Jimmy, um, or whatever. Um, or, like, you know, give you a partner, a scene partner, and say, you read for Jimmy, you read for Susan. Um, and then they would, like, kind of you know, have you come back in and, like, judge your, your performances, uh, and then at the end of that audition process, they would kind of, like, fight amongst one another and, like, cast their shows, and usually, like, if there was somebody who is, like, maybe more experienced or, like, a senior, maybe the more experienced directors would get their, their pick of the litter, as it were, um, but so I ended up, through that process, cast in or offered a role in an improv show. Um, I did not really understand what that meant. Um, and we would come to discover that together. Um, but there was, yeah, it was an improv show. Uh, we, rehearsal consisted of practicing games, kind of doing improv um, together and like kind of getting a, a sense of one another. It was like a cast of eight people, including the director. Um, and, yeah, we kind of, uh, you know, got a sense of one another's, like, 
tastes and interests and comedy style and sensibilities and so forth. Um, and then eventually did a show which was like 90 minutes of, of improv or something like that, maybe an hour, I don't know, in the, the studio theater at school. Um, there was also uh, an improv club that had just started. Um, and as, you know, I've gone on to be, you know, over the course of my college career and after, like, close friends with a lot of people that I did improv with, um, because you just, you know, it, including my partner, you know, we met during improv, um, and you just spend so much time, like, making each other laugh, and it's, it's immediately endearing, um, if you can, if you can get that kind of reaction, uh, from somebody else, you know, if they make you laugh, it's like, oh my god, you're hilarious, I love you, um, was at least how a lot of us were, because, you know, anyway, um, but yeah, lots of funny people, and yeah, after, uh, terms, you know, henceforth, after that, that first term with the improv show, I, uh, joined the improv club, um, uh, which was kind of like a sister group to the, the studio show at that time. It was pretty common once a year for, like, the first few years for there to be, or more, for there to be, like, a studio improv show to kind of, like, draw in more, um, more, you know, broader interest from, like, some of the theater kids, um, as kind of like a, and you know, like the, the improv club was kind of like a feeder group, and uh, feeder, not theater, <laughs> curse me, um, and, and yeah, like at some point we kind of left off uh, doing studio shows because we had developed such a large, originally the improv club was like a pretty lean, small group, um, like under 10 people, and by the time I graduated, it was, like, a core group of, like, 20 people and, like, maybe, you know, 10 or 15 more that uh, were kind of, like, had performed in, in our shows or, like, were kind of in and out um, when they had time and availability. Um, but, yeah, we also had rehearsal, like, three nights a week, and it was usually late. It was, like, you know, sometimes 8 to 10, 10 to 12, like, p.m., 10, 10 p.m. to 12 a.m., I guess, rather, um, just on whatever nights, uh, usually, like, in the lobby of our theater building, uh, which, it was a pretty quiet time, but sometimes you'd have, like, you know, night owls, like, passing through, um, sometimes, like, rehearsal for a show would get out, and they would, like, kind of fuck with you a little bit on their way through, um, Anyway, this is not about my improv experience so much as, like, you know, um, uh, so much as what improv is, but, yeah, we, we eventually started producing, like, our own shows, and, uh, we did a 24-hour improvathon my senior year, uh, that one of the underclassmen was really spearheading, kudos to Michelle for that, um, uh, yeah, so we, 
and we started like drawing pretty reliably good crowds like 50 60 people which for a small school is like you know oh kitty um yeah like uh anyway and by the end i was like one co-president of uh our improv club what kind of distinguish our club from uh you know other troops that I've known um in like a college setting is for one thing it was a small school so everybody was you know it wasn't like we were super clicky again <laughs> not super clicky somewhat clicky against like other student organizations but like we were not clicky within ourselves and like we were we kind of practiced like radical inclusivity there were a few people in the in the club who wanted it not to be a club sport as it were and to be like uh an auditioned like troop um and we would like d try to develop like improv skills and so forth and I don't know my my taste was always kind of more let's have it be like open and if there are people who are maybe not super great but they want to learn like that's fine and usually it was the people who had like some stuff who like kind of you know tended to stick with it but neither here nor there um yeah so we would do rehearsals a few times a week which was basically just um meeting up uh jamming a bunch of improv games and, and exercises and um uh then calling it a night and uh when we were rehearsing for a show, we would kind of, like, practice the structure or the introduction of the show or, like, what's the, the goofy, like, walk-on gimmick that we're going to do when we're getting on stage. Um, anyway, so, improv. Uh, there's, like, basically long-form and short-form improv. Short-form tends to be games, and if you've ever seen um, Whose Line Is It Anyway?, I recommend you check it out if you haven't. Um, you know, a lot of people are familiar with Wayne Brady, Ryan Stiles, Colin Mockery, uh, Drew Carey. Um, there's usually, like, kind of a rotating, like, guest spot on that show. Um, but, yeah, a bunch of aces. Great show. <laughs> um, really formative to my sense of humor as a child, I think. Um, and, a, like, a teen... But, yeah, so so a lot of what they do on that show is short form, where it's like, we're going to do a bunch of little games. And a game in the improv sense is we, like, almost like in game theory. Like, a game is not, like, you might refer to it colloquially, like, referring to Monopoly or, you know, uh, Fortnite or something. A game is, like like a bit almost but it's I guess kind of like kind of like that a game is is what you're what you're playing at you know like no pun intended but like so like um in short form the game is kind of like a formal like structured part of how you do that 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 scene um so like party quirks is a common one they play this a lot we play this a lot on Who's Line. Uh, party quirks. Um, one person is a guest. 
like usually three other people are or one person's a host usually three other people are guests at the party um the host usually like starts on stage alone they take a minute they kind of like you know walk around kind of set up some some stuff for the party maybe like give some little ad libs about um you know like oh i'm so excited for my my death metal themed uh birthday party or whatever um and you know usually do some object work object work is like when you uh, kind of mime like interacting with the space in some way like maybe you're you're like uh, taking something out of the oven or you know you're uh, like opening like a, a table umbrella or something um, you can kind of picture these actions um, another thing I'll just insert this is uh, we were big on conservative improv um, I don't know what the the opposite of conservative improv is it's not li liberal or leftist improv um but conservative is when you do not use props um you you mime things strictly and there was um you know one thing that we would often have to teach like new people starting improv is they get in a scene and they like point their index finger out have their thumb up and close their the rest of their fingers, point it at, you know, somebody else, their scene partner, and say, you know, like, threaten them as though they were holding a gun. And for one thing, uh, guns are bad in improv. Uh, they just give all the power in the scene to the person holding the gun, kind of like in real life. Um, and so you kind of want to avoid, like, introducing that kind of power dynamic into a scene because it's difficult to, like, develop it. Like, where do you go from there? Like, the person who has the gun pointed at them, like, kind of has to be, you know, sub submissive to the person holding the gun. Um, so, like, using a gun in improv is, you know, not great form. Um, but... Another thing we would always, like, try to correct people on is this is not a gun. You you are pointing your index finger and thumb in such a way. You are not holding a gun. So, like, what you want to do is open your, your, like, pinky ring and middle finger a little bit more, like, curl in your index and, like, cock your thumb like it's on the, you know, like it's resting on the, the side of the gun. So, like, this is a gun. This is not a gun. You can't see that. Um, we actually had a show called This Is Not A Gun once, which I, I can't really imagine flying. Oh, no, I don't want to be one of those comedy guys that's like, oh, you couldn't do that now. Um, but anyway, yeah, that was... <laughs> I can't really imagine... I can't really imagine doing that now, for what it's worth. Um, but yeah, This Is Not A Gun. Um, which was an in-joke and stupid. Nobody got it outside. You know, nobody in the audience would have gotten it, certainly. Um, but yeah, so... so uh, object work is, like, interacting with stuff. Conservative improv is, is, you know, not using props. It's using object work. Um, and, you know, you, you can't just... Unless you're, like playing a character whose hand has morphed into a gun, you know, you're not just, don't just point like that. Um, like, sometimes that would happen in scenes, and the other person would be like, who are you pointing at? Or whatever. Um, which is, okay, so there's another rule of improv, 
um, which is don't deny. Uh, and here, I guess I'm just giving you like a, a corporate training on improv for free, so enjoy. Um, but don't deny means if somebody is trying to establish something in a scene, don't say like, no, that's, you're wrong actually. <laughs> um, there's some very slim times that you can use that um, to kind of introduce something into the, something else into the scene. Like, you know, no, grandma, that's, uh, you know, whatever. Those are dog treats. Um, you know, so like you can deny in a clever way that still kind of moves things forward. And now we've established, oh, it's a forgetful grandma or whatever. Um, or like, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, so, so there are times where that's appropriate, but for the most part, you don't want to be fighting your scene partner. You want to be working with them, um, to develop a scene. Um, so that's why we say don't deny, like don't, you know, be collaborative. You know, it's not a competition. You're not playing for points. Um, just like whose line, the, the points are made up and the, you know, the points, um, something doesn't matter. Um, Anyway, shows made up and the points don't matter, something like that. Um, anyway, so, so yeah, um, don't deny it. The corollary to that and the more popularly known, like, version of don't deny, the inverse of it, I guess, is yes and. So you want to pick up what the other person is putting down, not just agree with it, because where does that give you? get you? And it's not just like your, your character in a scene says, oh yeah, totally. Um, it's like, if they're saying, um, uh, Daryl, have you seen my glasses? I can't find my glasses. And you say, yeah, uh, you seem to have lost your glasses or something. Like you're not developing anything. You're not moving anything forward. You're not adding to the scene. But if you say, um, if you say, uh, Thelma, they're on your head. I don't know. I guess I'm really committed to this forgetful grandma trope. Um, oh, I know. You could say, here's something that, that, you know, kind of yes ands that. Like, says, yes, that character is missing their glasses. And I'm wearing them. <laughs> I just thought I'd try them out, Thelma. What do you think? <laughs> you see like this? Wow. <laughs> that's so crazy. Um, I don't know. That's kind of cheeky and stupid. But, like, hopefully, hopefully the point comes across that it's important to be advancing, you know, what, what the scene is about. Um, here's another thing. So we would always... One, one tip that we had... Uh, was come in with something to do or something to be. Uh, like, you know, it starts, you know, because, like, with, with total blank slate, tabula rasa, it can be difficult. So a good starting point could be uh, you, you, like, and usually, okay, so here are the only, like, real props that we would use um, in a scene. 
was two chairs. In Speech Team, there was an event that used the only props they used, also conservative improv, basically. Not improv, but like really reliant on object work rather than props. But Speech Team, there was an event that used two chairs and a table. Um, those are the only like props, quote unquote, you could use. Because you can like position your body in different ways. And it's all about how you're able to express things with your body. Um, but yeah, like improv, we would usually have two chairs for a scene. And so like maybe, you know, you're like, you, you set up a scene, um, you, you run on, you put two chairs next to one another, you sit on one and you like mime like you're casting a fishing rod or something. Casting a fishing line. That's something to do. And now suddenly the other person has something to pick up and run with. Like they could be, you know, they could establish that these are like two retirees on a boat, like, uh, and this is the first time they've spoken to one another in six hours. Or you could, uh, um, you could be like, uh, you know, put on like a baby voice and say like, dad, um, <laughs> my line got stuck in the tree. I don't know. Um, and now suddenly this is like a father-son dynamic. And what I mean when I'm, I say find... So this is another tip. I don't know if I've explicitly said this yet, but find the game. Like, figure out what the scene is about and kind of drill into it. Another thing that we were really big on was don't make... Don't make jokes. There are no... We should not be trying for jokes. We should be trying... We're not even trying, but, like, it's not a joke. It's a laugh line. And what that means is you're not trying to set up a joke with, like, a punchline and a resolution. Um, you're trying to create a laugh line, which is, you know, something that's just funny that the audience will laugh at, will react to. Um, and very occasionally you can kind of set up, like, sometimes it'll just happen that, you know... Um, the, the audience says something funny... <laughs> And, or not the audience, that your scene partner will say something funny and you'll just like riff on it in a way that feels like a joke. That's great when that can happen, but we're not trying for that. Like there was one time I remember, this is like pretty stupid, but there was one time where um, somebody was like in a scene offering me a crab rangoon and I had established that they were like my child, my son or something. Um, and in the scene I was like, well, these are a great... Uh, these are a great illustration of, like, the changes going on in your body or something like that. <laughs> and that was, like, that got a big laugh. Um, not to toot my own horn, because it was pretty stupid. Um, but it felt like a joke. It felt like a punchline. It was not, though. It was just, like, something funny that was kind of, like... Like... What anymore, what's funny to me is not, like, jokes. Like, jokes... Ah, oh man, this is gonna sound really, like... Really, like, high on myself, but... Um, like, jokes, if you know what you're looking for, you can an anticipate them. And there are a lot of jokes that get reused, not in the exact same phrasing, but in the same, like, structure or the same, like, thing that they're joking about. Like, think how many times... You might not even be able to think of a specific example just because it was so, like, common for a while. But, like, back in the, like, 
late 90s, early 2000s, um, how common it was for people to joke about, like, some asshole in line at Starbucks ordering, like, a grande mochaccino uh, with, like, foam and, like, skim milk and, like, all this bullshit. And it, the joke was kind of like, oh, haha. And, and, like, then the next character gets to the counter and they're like, large coffee, black or whatever, and the joke is like, oh, haha, aren't the drinks at Starbucks so frou-frou, and, you know, whatever. Um, I, I can remember offhand, they did that joke in one of the Austin Powers movies, they did that joke all the time on Frasier, that was like Niles' whole thing at the coffee shop, um, and that's just like, a, a, you know, you don't need to write it the same way every time, or deliver it the same way, but that's the joke. And, like, you can do some stuff riffing on, like, how that joke gets utilized. Or maybe, like, you switch out the, the expectations. Um, and instead, the second guy at the counter, instead of, like, you know, undercutting the, the fancy drink person, um, the second guy at the counter is like, yeah, I'll have that. That sounds good. Or something. Um, I don't know. There's, like, ways you can kind of play with expectation. But anyway, I what I'm getting at is, like, jokes you can... When you know what you're looking for, you can, um, you can preempt, you can expect them, and that makes them a lot less funny. Um, surprise is funny, and games are funny. Like, sometimes, just what the scene is about is, like, like, it could be a scene about, like, two astronauts, like, doing repairs on the outside of a, a space shuttle or something, like, moonwalk spacewalking, doing repairs on their shuttle, but the joke is, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, they're a couple, and, um, they're, I, fuck, I don't know, they're getting divorced, <laughs> I don't know, um, but they're, like, alone on this space shuttle or something, I don't know, like, that's not a great example because it's not very funny, but, like, the, um, the joke is, like, in these heightened circumstances where you have one person, like, in, you know, within a thousand miles of you that you can rely on, and they're, like, kind of not keen on each other or something, um, you can, like, derive a lot of humor from that, and, you know, a lot of the joke is kind of in the, the setup, in the circumstances. Um, a lot of the humor, I should say, not the joke. Um, so that's something that when we say uh, look for the game in improv, that's, you know, something that you try to do. Capitalize on whatever the underlying, like, humor of the scene is, rather than just try to, like, set up, you know, one another for punchlines. Um... What's another rule of improv? Yeah, yes and, don't deny, find the game, come in with something to do. I guess I'll talk about, like, how... So, short-form improv, yeah, you, like, Party Quirks is a great example. You have a host that's kind of, like, introducing, like, setting the scene, you know, establishing some objects that can be interacted with, and then you have three guests who have been given roles um, or identities by the audience, like, usually the, the host will, like, leave the stage for the moment, for a moment, or, like, put on earmuffs or something, and 
uh, somebody else in the show will like call for let's let's get a, a quirk for you know Andrew, and it'll be like uh, a guy with lobster claws for hands, um, and then like the whole my whole like in the scene all I'll be doing is like interacting totally like a normal person at a party, but then I'll like drop something that's handed to me, it'll like slip out of my my claw um, or you know, it'll, like, I'll try to pick something up and, like, just totally fail. Um, or, you know, it'll be, like, uh, you know, I'm gonna make this hero, like, uh, Wonder Woman, but she has the lasso of truth, like, wrapped around herself or something. Um, so there's, like, some kind of character... I don't know, usually the audience doesn't give, like, stuff that detailed. They're usually like, um, oh, it's Taylor Swift. And then you, you gotta figure out something funny to do with that, even if it's, like, not, like, a great quirk. Um, and yeah, then the, the host will, like, kind of through the scene, like, kind of deduce who you are and, like, guess it without guessing, you know, without strictly saying, oh, are you Taylor Swift? They'll be like, um... I, I guess you're not in your partying era today, Taylor, or something. Um, and then everybody will, like, go, yeah, applaud, and, like, uh, they'll, like, make up some excuse to leave the stage. Usually there's one person left behind who they just, like, can't, <laughs> can't get a handle on. Um, and be, they'll make a bunch of, like, incorrect guesses, like, um like the lobster hands guy, they'll be like, uh, step away from that space heater person made of ice. Um, you know, and it'll, they'll like try to, you know, the audience will usually like clue in and try to lead the, the host towards the right, you know, right answer. Another thing is, you know, so that's short, for, short form. Uh, we sometimes refer to it on in Improv Club is Shark Farm. Um, but that's short form. It's just, like, games like that that have kind of a basic structure. Um, long form is, like, you're doing a series of scenes that have some relationship to one another. Sometimes in professional improv, you'll have, like, an actor or somebody as a monologist who, like, comes on and gives a monologue about, you know, something in their life, maybe from a prompt of some kind that's take, taken from the audience. And then, uh, based on that, the uh, rest of the troupe will, like, do a bunch of scenes that are kind of riffing on elements of that uh, monologue. Sometimes they'll interview somebody in the audience uh, a little bit, like, who got some interesting news today? Um, I was at a show once where the... Yeah, the, the person who got news was, like, somebody who had just seen a psychic. That was, like, full of good material for them. Um, sometimes, you know, uh, and that really helps come up with, like, a lot of scenes, like a dozen scenes or something. There's this format that's kind of, like, the classic, the brass ring. It's called a herald. Um, and I forget the exact structure of it because we were, we always joked about doing one, but it was a while before in Troop we actually got there. Um, a Herald, there's like a very certain structure to it. It's like you do 
seen A1, A2, A3, and then B1, B2, B3, and then there's like kind of group scenes like in between it. It's anyway. Um, another thing is like, and it, this is more common in, in long form, you'll find, you'll form like a back line with the troop. Anybody can walk on at any point as a character. Usually they start with two, but sometimes like somebody will walk on with an idea and they'll kind of like point or like tap to two members of the troop. Um, like, you know, here, you come on with me, follow my lead. Um, and the person will be like, um, so I have bad news about your baby <laughs> or something. I don't know. That's dark. Um, maybe it'll get funny though. I don't know. Um, uh, you know, acting as like a doctor or a teacher or something. And the, the other two are like the parents anyway. Um, so yeah, sometimes you like tag other people. Sometimes you just go on and do something and, you know, anybody else based on a kind of a group impulse, as we would call it, like just walks out and kind of joins usually two people, sometimes more, um, Sometimes it's two people, but then as they seem to start slowing down, somebody else will, like, come in and, as a third character, introduce something new to the scene. Um, there will also be times where... Um, let's see. <clears throat> there will be times where... Um, like the the scene is kind of like losing steam or you've like mined all the interesting bits the humor out of it um to, or or maybe it just gives somebody a really strong inspiration like this is a perfect setup for another scene um so somebody off the back line will like sweep the scene they'll kind of like wave an arm or something and run across the stage to kind of like erase it like close it off and then they'll run out and start doing something, maybe, you know, then tagging somebody else to come in. Um, so that's a common one. Um, yeah, I mean, a common one. I mean, sweeping a scene happens between every scene in long form. Sometimes there's, like, kind of a structure to a long form, like... Um, there was one, one long form structure we did called close quarters where all of the scenes are supposed to happen in the same like general area. Oh, this is another thing I haven't really mentioned yet. Um, getting a suggestion from the audience. This takes some, some good crowd work. So somebody, you know, none of the scenes are rehearsed beforehand. Um, and like, without even cheating like nobody nobody is like oh this would be a great place to drop our you know like veterinarian to a giraffe you know scene that we've rehearsed I'm gonna set that one up now like no everything is totally original um it's honestly easier to do it that way um but yeah so so like um 
close quarters was a structure where everything happens in the same area. So somebody will like go to the audience, uh, call out to the audience and say, okay, usually an improv show will start with, listen, we will ask for some suggestions. Do not call out outside of that time because people, this is another thing with comedy shows. I think everyone's a little bit guilty of it, but you go to a comedy show of any kind, you get really hyped up and you think like, oh, haha, this is really funny. I want to be funny. I could be funny. Um, and you start like people, people, this is how like people at a stand-up show start heckling because they, they think like, I could be in on this, huh? And they start like responding to the comic and like trying to make their own jokes. And it's just, it derails things in improv. Like it was very common for people to make inappropriate suggestions. Um, so like one, you know, we would always give kind of caveats, like uh, an object that wouldn't embarrass your mother. Um, so, you know, we're like, and then from that we get like an umbrella, a bouquet of roses, um, a soccer ball, you know, and that's just like kind of some grist to begin with. Um, close quarters, we would ask for a location. Um, you gotta be careful because people are like primed based on where they're at and what they've been thinking about and seeing and sometimes they wanna throw out something funny and you can't be too selective. You can't look like, hmm, no, a uh, soccer ball, I don't like that one. Let's, let's keep looking. Um, so usually like everybody yells something different at once um, and you kinda just have to like get in there and you know, uh, say like, okay, I heard, I heard soccer ball, soccer ball. Um, you know, so that's kind of just how, how it has to work. Um, what else? I am at my parking spot and we are about at time. This was actually kind of perfect. Um, I guess I'll, as way of, by way of winding down, um, I think I'll just say, like, I really have loved doing improv. I've been meaning for a long time to kind of get back into it. Gotta get over some, like, social anxiety first, I think. Um, we, for a while, um, my partner and I had, like, kind of home improv nights where we would, like, you know, just gather a bunch of friends who are, like, funny or who have done improv or, you know, are interested, and we kind of just, like make like both an audience and like a troupe um, and people can just go up and, and do you know games in a pretty chill context we, we did that at our old apartment which was tiny um, but it's doable and it's fun um, you do need a pretty you know like a, a good size group I think like eight is probably the absolute minimum because um, a lot of games you can't just do two people um, you kind of need at least four as a troop. Five is better. Um, and you want an audience that's preferably at least that size. Um, but, you know, it depends. I guess you could just get together with, like, you and seven friends and just kind of jam some scenes. Um, or, you know, you and, like, four other friends, five, whatever. Um... But yeah, I mean, uh, improv has been so much fun to me. 
Uh, I do want to get back into it at some point here in my life because uh, it's been a long time since I've I've done it regularly. Um, and you know, it's just it's so awesome to have to be in an improv show. It's like very electric. Um, you're on the spot. You just have to like think of stuff and say it. That's, I guess I haven't really remarked as much on that aspect of it. Like, it's on your feet, you know. Um, but it's also not that high pressure. Like, sometimes you have to remember details from the earlier scenes or earlier in the scene. But usually somebody says, like, you know... I don't know, like, hey, did you watch the game last night? Um, and you say, like, just wh whatever comes to mind. Oh, <laughs> there was a game that we played that was actually short form, but it was, like, a good rehearsal game. It was called, uh... Oh, it was called Take That Back. So you, you're doing a scene, and somebody makes an answer. At any point, there's, like, a taker-backer who can say, take that back. And you have to, like, kind of rewind and like provide something different so they'll be like did you see the game last night you know like kind of water cooler break room chat somebody will walk up with like a coffee mug and they'll say like hey phil did you see the game last night and and you go you know take that back and they're like hey phil uh uh <laughs> how did you sleep last night <laughs> and that like sends us in a completely different direction like why why might his coworker be asking how Phil felt uh, slept, um, or you know the the coworker says like, "Hey Phil, did you catch the game last night?" Um, and then Phil says, uh, "No, nah, I was out at the movies." Um, and they say, "Take that back." And then Phil has to rewind and go like, uh, "No, nah, I was reading a book," um, which. You know, okay, so that kind of sounds like denial. This isn't the best example, um, but I guess it's kind of moving things forward. I don't know. It's it's not the greatest example. I, I'll, I'll take that. Um, but yeah, and then they'll, they could rewind further, go take that back. And you say, like, like, inevitably the responses get weirder and weirder because it kind of pushes you to think, like, beyond your top-of-mind first answer, um, what's my second answer? answer that I might have to reach a little bit further for. Um, is that interesting? No? Well, maybe you'll have to keep reaching. Um, so yeah, maybe the third answer is like, uh, <laughs> like, uh, no, I had to bury a body last night or something. I, I don't know. That's kind of corny, but like, um, uh, yeah, hey, Phil, did you catch the game last night? Uh, yeah, I was in the game. You didn't see me? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, that was a fun, a fun short-form game that we did. There was the whole other genre that was, like, kind of warm-up games, like Zip Zap Zop. There was, there were some singing games, like, musical improv is a whole thing. Uh, people who are trained in it are, like, it blows my mind, but, like, it's coming up with a lot of rhymes. It's coming up with melodies. It's maybe putting a little vocal flourish on, on your scenes. Um, usually it's with like piano accompaniment. 
Um, like somebody is literally like kind of catching onto a musician is improvising um, while you improvise like a story, improvise comedy. Um, there's dramatic improv. You can, you don't have to improvise to like find a game that's funny. You can find a game that like tells a good story. Um, there's just so much, so much there in improv. And this is why like lots of corporations are like, oh, we got to get improv training for our people because like, it's just good for you. It's good for your brain. Um, it makes you like more nimble and you know, like, roll with stuff. I don't know. I'm not... I'm not trying to defend why corporations do something, but, like, you know, yeah, it's... Improv is... Improv is great. Uh, go support your local improv scene. Um, join it if that's your thing, I guess. Should eat my words on that, though. Um, anyway. Um... I think that's that's pretty much all I have to say on improv for right now. Maybe we'll re revisit this in the future. Who knows? Um, in any case, uh, Kitty's been very quiet. Um, I don't think she has any thoughts on improv to end on. Um, so let's just say uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Scott Suter, uh, for our glorious intro-outro music. Uh, find him on SoundCloud. Find him on Instagram, Copenhagen Cool Ranch. Uh, check me out online at uh, lemmeexplainyouathing.com. Go submit topics for me there. Um, thanks for listening. Love you guys. Couldn't do it without you. Take care, have a great day, and if you're falling asleep, sweet dreams. Bye-bye.